Hey, Roger. Hey, Janae. How are you doing? At this moment, life really can't get any better because we are in Napa Valley and we're recording another episode of Sip on This, the podcast that takes you into the wondrous world of wine tasting of Napa and Sonoma Valleys and wine country around the world. I'm Roger Chung. And I'm Janae Gaither, and we are your podcast co-hosts. This is episode seven of Sip on This, and today we are at the very picturesque Chimney Rock Winery in the Stagsley District. This is my fourth visit to this winery, and I'm glad to be back here. Well, I have a question for you. Has there ever been a moment in your life when you woke up and went outside and took a deep breath and then said, wow, the air is so pure and so fresh? You know, I was a kid. I was probably like in fifth grade, and my family took a summer vacation to Taiwan, where my parents are from. And right in the center of Taiwan is this mountain range, and it's called Alisan. And it's uh, where a lot of the Aborigines uh, population uh, live. But they also have this huge, tall mountain peak. And I remember being that young kid, my parents woke me up super early at like 3.45 a.m. and put me on this bus. We all went on this bus to, to go to the top of the mountain and I was dragging my feet and I was dreading that. I was like, why are you waking me up so early to go look at the sunrise? But once we got off that bus and the sunrise came up at about 5.30 in the morning, I smelled that pure, fresh, clean, crisp air, best breath of air that I have ever remembered in my life. But I'm sure in that moment you loved the purity of that cool, fresh air. And today we will have the same experience. But instead of fresh air, we'll have crisp, pure, beautiful wine. That's such a great analogy, Janae. And besides fresh air, the one other thing that warms my heart and brings me to my happy place is beautifully crafted, delicious, pure wines. And here at Chimney Rock, here in the Stag's Leap District of Napa Valley, all the elements come together to produce top-notch, world-renowned Cabernet Sauvignon. You're right. Um, and you mentioned world-renowned, and over time, wines from the Stag's Leap District have garnered such a huge, venerable reputation of producing some of Napa's finest Cabernets. So today we have the winemaker who carries the awesome responsibility of creating some of the world's best crafted, best crafted wines year after year. She is the winemaker and general manager of Chimney Rock Winery, Elizabeth Vienna. Welcome to Sip on This, Elizabeth. Thank you for being here and hosting us. Thank you, Janae. Thank you, Roger. It's a pleasure to be here. Chimney Rock's products, its wines are top-notch and world-renowned because all the elements come together to create a perfect wine production environment. But before we get into the elements that make Chimney Rock wines so exceptional, Jeanette, can you set the scene of where we are at? Absolutely. We are along the Silverado Trail um, at in a beautiful room inside of Chimney Rock. And what's really interesting about Chimney Rock, the thing that I've always been drawn to, is the fact that the architecture is so different. It's more uh, Dutch colonial versus the kind of Tuscan-inspired, farmhouse, barn-inspired uh, wineries that proliferate in Napa Valley. So can you talk to us about the architecture of this building? Yeah, so the architecture is one of the things that certainly distinguishes Chimney Rock, and it's actually Cape Dutch architecture, which is typical of wineries in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So the founders of Chimney Rock had lived in South Africa for many years, and when they decided to build this building, they decided to pay homage to um, their past. And 
the the winery is actually inspired by two very well-known wineries and some of the oldest ones in uh, South Africa. The tasting room building is inspired by Mere Lust. Mm -hmm. um, and then the production, the original production building is a replica of Groot Constancia, oh, which is a winery in Stellenbosch that dates to the 1600s. Wow. Yep. So it's it's very, very pure architecture and they the attention to detail in everything is, is really true to form. It's fantastic. I love that. You know, we've been talking about the elements coming together, and I really see it as three attributes that merge perfectly together. The first and second attribute go hand in hand. The first attribute is the winery and its philosophy and approach to winemaking. And the second attribute is the winemaker, which is you, Elizabeth. You've been a, at Chimney Rock for nearly 20 years. Um, and what was the path that has led you to your current position, not only as winemaker, but also as the GM? So after college, I moved to New York City and got a job at a hospital. I thought I would spend some time working um, in the medical field before I went to med school. And in that period, I fell in love with wine, drinking it as a consumer in New York City. Um, I had a friend whose father had collected Bordeaux in the 70s, and I tried some amazing, life-changing bottles, literally. And so that led me to apply for the master's program at UC Davis in enology and viticulture instead. And suddenly I was packing my bags and moving to California, and that was well over 20 years ago. Uh, Chimney Rock has a very serendipitous place in my life because Cabernet was my grape. That's what I wanted to make from day one. It was the grape that I gravitated to. I thought it's, um, it's an amazing grape. It can grow in so many different regions and so many different expressions and it's so versatile and tough and I loved everything about Cabernet Sauvignon. So when I was at Davis in grad school, I applied for an internship at Chimney Rock, and it was my second internship in the wine business. So I worked here in 1999, lugging hoses and sampling vineyards, and uh, fell in love with the property. Uh, finished Davis, went to work somewhere else, and uh, this is kind of a funny story. The assistant winemaker here at Chimney Rock decided she was kind of bored with wine and wanted to go to medical school. Mm. So she now went to medical school. Isla Bacchus was her name. She now delivers babies in Chicago, and I took her job. I came back as assistant winemaker, eventually was promoted to winemaker, and eventually GM. And as for the dual role, um, there's actually quite a few winemaker GMs in the Valley, and I think... I think it's a real testament to the the family that owns Chimney Rock that they want the person who runs the business to also be in charge of quality mm -hmm. um, because the winemaker has the passion and the priority in the, in the realm of quality, not numbers. Not that numbers aren't important, but our priority here is to grow the best fruit that we can to put the absolute best wine in the bottle. And so I think there's a real strength in carrying both of those responsibilities. Well, can you first talk to my mom? Because she still wants me to go to medical school. <laughs> and if you could show her your success, then maybe she'll back off on me a little bit. Well, what I like to say is there's a lot of great ways of curing people, and mine is one of them. <laughs> so in some ways, I'm still in medicine. <laughs> oh, I, I can appreciate I that. That's a good one. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And then do you, you, now you mentioned some life-changing wines that you drink uh, that uh, 
adjusted your life course. Do you remember what varietals those were? Yeah, so they were mostly Bordeaux from the 70s, and this friend of mine, my friend Roy Abrams, his dad was a Wall Street guy, had bought some amazing first growth. So Latour, Lafitte, Mouton mm. Rothschild, Fijac, some amazing bottles. Uh, so some of the best wines in the world. I got to taste as I was getting initiated into wine, and that really uh, impacted me. So then it worked out naturally and beautifully that you would end up at Chimney Rock that does a lot of Bordeaux-style wines because that is what your first true love was when it came That's to right. Wine. We are a cab house. That's what we do. Uh, our specialty is Cabernet from the Stags Leap District area. And, uh, you know, that's why I've been here so long. It, it was a perfect fit for me. So how does that memory uh, influence how you are making your wines today then? The memories from those life-changing bottles? You know, I think... It's always been my goal to make wines that are thought-provoking, that provoke an emotional response, mm. that aren't just, you know, it's not just something that's, it's delicious, but it really is a wine that changes as, as it sits in your glass that's and right. that, that um, can pair with amazing foods and that has a lot of dimension and depth. And, um, and I love the idea of, of wines that are state-grown, which is what we do here as well. The mm-hmm. fact that we are following the cycle from grape all the way to bottle is really important because at the end of the day, it really isn't the winemaker. It's the vineyards. It's, it's the place where we grow our grapes is 95% of what's going to become the quality in the bottle. We get to impact a little bit of that, maybe interpret that piece of land, but ultimately, having a great ranch in Sags Leap District, that's what makes Chimney Rock great. I love that. Chimney Rock is part of the Trilato family of wines. And for our podcast audience, episode six was the Rutherford Hill Winery, which is also a Trilato family property, and Chimney Rock's sister winery. So, Elizabeth, as the winemaker and GM, and you touched upon this just briefly already, but you guide and lead the winery in its philosophy of winemaking. What is your approach to winemaking, and how is that consistent with the Trilato brand? Well, um, the motto of uh, the Trilato family and their approach to all of their brands, and they represent brands from all over the world, Italy and France and New Zealand, is quality first. Um, and so that's, that's definitely our guiding principle. Philosophically on wine, to me, um, I would say that I am a... I wouldn't say non-interventionist, but minimally interventionist. So our goal is to grow the absolute best grapes that we can out there so that once they're picked and they come into our crush pad, there's not a whole lot that we need to do except to have some really great oak barrels um, and watch our fermentation. So we, we use a lot of science and technology in the vineyards that help ensure that we're gonna have really small berries which are going to give us beautiful color and a lot of concentration. Uh, We de-stem our red berries and then we ferment in stainless steel tanks. Um, I love really long skin contact, so red wines ferment on the skins. And all of the goods, all of the, the structure and the color and the texture of wine really comes from the skins. So here at Chimney Rock, we love to let our red tanks sit on the skins from anywhere from 20, say 25 to like 35 days, which is really nice and long. Yeah. Um, And you get this really beautiful depth and texture. And I'm trying to highlight what it is that I think is special about Stag's Leap. And 
think is different uh, about Stag's Leap District Cabernet is texture. Um, the tannins here, the structure is very smooth. They're very elegant and graceful wines. And so in every step of winemaking, we try to sort of highlight that elegance and that grace of the wines that are grown here. Well, you, you already started talking about the other element that makes this wine so good and delicious, and that's the Stag's Leap District. And you talked about the tannins, but the tannins are obviously influenced by the terroir and the soil. So can you tell us what makes Stag Leap's uh, geography so unique? And the Stag's Leap District isn't that large at all. It's, it, it, we'll remind our, our podcast audience that there are, what, 16 sub-AVAs? 16, yeah. Six, 16 sub-AVAs in Napa. Stag's Leap is one of them. Stag's Leap is probably the smallest one, I think. Yes, it's only three miles long and barely a mile wide. So really small AVA. Um, what distinguishes the Stag's Leap terroir, and to me terroir is never just soil. Mm-hmm. It's soil, it's geography, mm-hmm. it's climate, mm-hmm. right? Those three things are the critical. And so we have um, a lot of beautiful volcanic soils here, a little bit of bale loam, clay loam, some rock, um, very well-drained soils, which um, is really important when you're growing uh, great great grapes for wine, but the location of Stag's Leap is critical. So we're at the very southern end of the Napa Valley between the chain of the Vaca Mountains and the Mycamas Mountains. There's a funneling of cool air that gets here from the San Pablo Bay, Mm. and it hits us probably the hardest because we're at the south end of the valley, right? So there's the cooling part. We may stay cooler in the mornings, get cooler sooner in the evenings. But then, in extreme opposition to that, there's this towering, you saw the towering palisades above Stag's Leap, those rocks, right? Those rocks have a heat trapping effect during the day. So it actually gets quite warm. We reach really nice high peak temperatures. So that yin and yang of hot and cool allows our grapes to really ripen, get those tannins so nice and ripe that they're silky smooth. Um, and I think that's kind of the there there. It's a combination of those rocks that trap heat, the cooling, and the amazing soils that we have in Stag's Leap as well. And is that temperature differentiation uh, the most extreme here in Stag's Leap versus other parts of Napa, or is it more extreme in other places? I, I would say, you know, the north end of the valley tends to get warmer, but they don't have the, the cooling as much as we do. So. You know, every portion of the valley, every AVA is an AVA because of its distinct characteristics. They've, you've got to be able to show that it's unique. Um, and I, but I think for Stag's Leap, one of the key things is the coolness, which also, speaking of cooling, cooling is really important with red grapes because it helps hold on to acidity. And acidity, you know, we talk a lot about tannin as being one of the important things for ageability in wines, but acidity is also really key. It helps wines age. And so that cooling allows the grapes to hold on to acidity a little bit better as well. And I think that's critical. Yeah. You talked about uh, clay loam and volcanic ash. Um, and you talked about well-draining soils being a critical component to great viticulture um, because the grapes don't hold on to water and so they can struggle a little more and then produce much more intense fruit. So um, can you tell us about the attributes 
um, that each of those soil types contributes to uh, the overall flavor profile of the wine, if you can do it in a way that's not super technical. (laughs) It's actually not super technical, it's super simple. It's all about drainage, right? And the motto in growing grapes for a great wine is deficit irrigation, so we're irrigating at a deficit. I like to say we we kind of grow our grapevines on a tightrope of some stress because you want the grapevine to focus its attention on the berries, not on the green part of the plant. So those soil types happen to not hold water, water flows away and those roots now get stressed, right? And so even after a very rainy winter, um, and that's the other part of the equation that's so critical, I think that makes us uh, makes it possible to grow great grapes here is we have a wet winter, right? So you fill your soil profile up and then we don't get rain here in Napa Valley typically from May or even April all the way to November when most of the grapes are in. So that allows those soil profiles to really drain out and dry out and those grapevines are stressed and we are allowed to irrigate in Napa Valley because you have to sometimes, um, but we, minim- we irrigate minimally. Great. So. And here we are, it's January of 2019, and you started to talk a little bit about the cycle of grape growing. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because right now, as you came up to, as I was driving up to Napa from San Francisco, driving up through Silverado Trail, all the vines have been um, cleared. Um, a lot of them have been pruned back because harvest occurs in between August to October-ish where uh, the harvest season is where, where the wineries and the growers pull the grapes from the vines and get and start the production process for wine and start the fermentation process of it. Um, but what happens to the vines um, right now between January to uh, harvest season? So, yeah, we kind of think about it in about five stages. And right now the grapevines are dormant. So nothing's happening with those grapevines. They've just produced an amazing vintage in 2018. They're kind of hanging out. Um, There's no green growth on the plants you can see. So this is the time when we prune the grapevines back. We haven't started here yet, but we will soon. And um, pruning uh, is the way that you set what your crop will be for the next year. So based on, you know, some some vineyard data, etc. We make the decision on how many buds to leave per position and how many shoots will grow, which gives us an idea of how many clusters. Um, that's kind of boring, but no, but the pruning part is 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 critical. Um, then we're going to get to the point where we get bud break, mm-hmm. so where those young shoots are born, and bud break is a critical thing because um, those young shoots are very fragile, right? That's when we can get the most frost damage. If a bud gets burned, get under, so you see those big fans in the valley that help bring warm temperatures down to lower in the valley. Some people use um, uh, overhead uh, uh, frost protection, which is water. We use that, that's our system. Um, so bud break is a critical time. We're watching those great friends like hawks. You'll hear alarms in the valley when things dip below 32. Oh, so that right. everybody knows, and they go into action, turn those fans on, etc. To circulate um, the air to get to, to try to draw, draw that, in the warmer air. That's right. That's right. Once um, 
once bud break is done and you start uh, pretty soon you're going to get to the place where you're close to bloom so you'll start to see those little mini clusters on the grapevine and they flower and that's another critical part that usually happens sometime in April or May and flowering is critical because if the weather is not sort of constant um, if you have extremes like too cold, too warm, lots of wind, not every one of those flowers will become a, a, a berry, mm -hmm. right? So that's another critical point. Um, so we get through bloom and we hope for really nice, even weather. Um, and we've had some vintages like 2011 where, you know, a third of those flowers blew off because we had really extreme temperatures. It happens, it's agriculture. Um, once we're done with bloom, um, and if we've had really nice weather, we'll get what's called good set. So now those little flowers become these hardened green little berries, um, and that's fruit set. So if you've had nice constant weather, you'll get a good fruit set. After fruit set, those berries start to grow, and the next critical stage is what we call verasion, which is when those green berries start to de develop color um, and start to soften. So all along that process, we're watching those grapevines, we're looking at different um, measurements from water status to nitrogen to all of these things, um, making sure that there's not too much water available to the plant so that the berries stay small and we get a lot of concentration. And then once you get through veration, so now your berries have colored up 100%, they're all purple, um, we will actually start doing what we call vineyard sampling. So. My sister and I go out in the vineyards with a little Ziploc baggie and we pull samples, random samples off the grapevine and we start to monitor the development of sugar, um, pH, acidity, all of those things. But this is getting very technical. Isn't no, it's it? great. Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> and then that final day comes when we decide that the grapes are ready to be picked. And that decision for me is based on flavor more than anything. Um, it's tasting the tannins and the skins, it's tasting the seeds. Uh, the seeds actually carry quite a bit of tannin, so you want to make sure that the seeds are not green and bitter, but brown and polymerized and, um, and ripe. Um, as well as sugar. Sugar goes into it, but we really don't pick by sugar. Ah. Um, uh, we really pick on, on the flavor of the skins. I would have thought that brick sugar measurement would have yeah. been your first criteria. Yeah, I mean, you're monitoring that. Uh, I don't really, here at Chinook, we don't love super high alcohol, so we, we don't like things that are higher than 27, even 26 bricks, really. Mm -hmm. But everything depends on vintage. Every vintage is a little different. Some vintages, things will get riper at lower bricks. Um, other vintages, that's different. So um, that's one of the funnest parts about winemaking is mm -hmm. A year never repeats itself, and so every year, you know, you're given a different set of conditions, and you get to try and make the best wine you can. You, the tendency, though, is to pref for winemakers to prefer drier years than wet years, right? We love dry years, absolutely. The drier the year, the more stressed the vines usually. Um, I like some. I don't love heat spikes. So we, we hate heat spikes because what happens when you get a heat spike is the sugars can go sky high, but the tannins take a little while to ripen and mature. And so you get this, you know, more, more distance between those two. So ideally, like I love this 2018 vintage was amazing. We didn't have any heat spikes. It was kind of cool, slow development, mm. but we were warm enough.
ripe in Cabernet. Mm-hmm. So and and no no early grapes either. So it was kind of a quintessential vintage. Versus 2017, if I recall, that was just an extremely hot summer consistently yeah, through. Yeah, 2017, we had a crazy heat yeah. spike uh, right at the end of August. We got to like 109 degrees. Right. And, um, you know, we have a lot of techniques, though. You, you have to irrigate when you're you know, prepping the vines for a, a, a heat episode like that. Um, a lot of people, we've done some trials with uh, shade cloth as well. Uh, and also just canopy management, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if you're going to remove leaves or laterals, leaving just the right amount of exposure so that your grapes aren't too exposed, um, everything's about looking at each vineyard block and what the right way to manage that canopy is. So. So in 1976, we had the famous, and now rather infamous as well, um, Judgment of Paris Tasting, and um, a Cabernet from the Stags Leap District won first place in the red wine category. Um, So can you talk about how that part of Napa's history has shaped the valley and maybe shaped uh, how you make wine here at Chimney Rock? Yeah. Well, I think that that tasting was so critical to Napa Valley's history, and I'm actually not a big believer in comparing wine regions to each other. I think we're all different, right? The climate patterns of Bordeaux are so different than the climate patterns of Napa. But what was important about that tasting was it just put us on an international map, right? It was established that Napa Valley could indeed produce world-class wines. Um, I don't think we really need to go back there again. And I think the style of the wines is, is different, but I think it gave Napa the confidence, right? Um, to believe, yeah, this is this is serious wine we're making here in Napa Valley. Um, it also really called attention to Stagsley District, right? Because uh, Stagsley Wine Cellars won that first one. Um, that tasting was repeated 10 years with the same vintage wines. And that second time, it was a wine from the district as well, Clodeval, just south of us. Oh, okay. So there was something showing that something from this area was was being done well. Um, and I think it really helped um, set the foundation for the establishment of the AVA, which would only happen in 1989. That's when it was formally designated uh, an AVA. Well, all that talk about Cabernet is making my mouth water. Can we start the wine tasting? Let's do some tasting. That Absolutely. Great. So, I mean, what did you bring for us today? So, I brought one white wine, and white wine is a very small part of our production. It's only about five percent, but we make a really special white wine, which is our Elevage Blanc. So, you guys are going to taste our 2016 Elevage Blanc, and. This wine is really interesting. It has a great history. Tony Trelato, who's the uh, patriarch of the family, um, loves a white wine from Bordeaux called Aubryon Blanc. It's a $500 bottle of white. Amazing bottle, right? Can age, beautiful. And so Tony came to us in 2002 and said, so if we wanted to here in Napa, could we create something that emulates the style? Um, of, of, of white Bordeaux, and we got to work. We planted this vineyard for this project. So it's a blend of two grapes. It's Sauvignon Blanc. Now, if you know white Bordeaux, usually they blend Semillon. Yeah. 
We did a little twist on that blend. We actually planted a vineyard of Sauvignon Gris, just oh, kind cool. of a long lost cousin mm -hmm. of uh, Sauvignon Blanc. And the reason for that was we really wanted to create a white wine that would age well. Um, and Sauvignon tends to lose acidity a little bit in Napa. It's hot. Sauvignon Gris has thicker skins. Uh, we thought it might be a better player in terms of acidity. And so um, first vintage that we made of this one was 2004. And the, the way we think of this wine is it's kind of the white wine for the red wine drinker because it has ageability, yeah. depth, complexity. Um, it's really kind of a thought-provoking wine. So the one that you're having is our 2016. We always let this bottle age at least a year before it's released. Very it's cool. kind of important. Um, and the blend on this wine is 79% Sauvignon Blanc, 21% Sauvignon Gris. Mm. Sauvignon Green is not a grape, is not a varietal that we hear a lot about here in Napa Valley at all. It's, it's not very widely planted. Yep. Yeah, there's only a couple of people who, who have the grape and we're one of them. So this wine is actually whole cluster pressed and barrel fermented. So you're going to get a little bit of barrel influence. We use about a third new French oak, a third used French oak, and a third stainless steel barrels. Mm. Um, it's, it's a really fun white wine to make. We use about eight different kinds of yeast, a little bit of native fermentation. So it's meant to be a really rich and complex wine. Mm. And the color of this is a little bit more golden. What would you, how would you describe the color of this? I would say um, a medium straw. straw. Yeah. That's good. That is a delicious wine. It almost... To get the richness in the palate, one of the rich. things that we do here that's unusual is we stir the yeast lees, which is a technique that's used more in Burgundy, right, for for, for Chardonnays to build some, some richness. Wow. And that was something that we really wanted, again, because we make red wines here in Stag's Leap and we're obsessed with texture mm -hmm. and richness, we wanted to find that in our white wine, our house white. This is the most decadent bouquet that I have smelled in a very long time. I get a little butterscotch in this. Um, also a little bit of uh, like like honeydew melon too. It, it's yeah. beautiful. A lot of stone fruit. And then one of the things that the soft green contributes as the wine ages, which I love, and this is just starting to show it is a little bit of floral, almost like a... Um, It's like an orange blossom almost character, um, which I really love as well. It's a lot of stone fruit, caramel, caramel too. Caramel and butterscotch, yeah. yeah. I mm, love that. I get this beautiful, bountiful bouquet of, and it almost smells like a, a more like a classic French wine to me than anything that I've smelled here, like an American wine, yeah. uh, like an American Sauve Blanc or a Pinot. Something that is truly unique and, and, and aroma to Napa Valley, I think. And then I went on to the third uh, aspect of tasting it, and wow, it just blew my mind away because it is nothing like a white wine that I've tasted here in Napa Valley at all. And the texture that I get is more of a, like a cream, um, yes. like a, 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 a it's, it's a creamy texture. It's, it's like very viscous, 
waxy. Yeah. But yeah. waxy might sound a little bit um, negative, but it's not negative. Um, it's it's more. It's very viscous and oily, like you said. It has some heft to it, but it's not like if you taste a buttery, oaky Chardonnay. No. It's not like that at all. Right. You guys are just gonna have to taste it. Wow. This is mind-blowing to me, actually. Good, yeah. Really yeah, is. we're very proud of this one. We worked hard on crafting something that would, was unique, and we have tasted it blind against other white Bordeaux, mm -hmm. even though I'm not a fan of comparing, but one of the things I wanted to see was, have we been able to mimic some of that texture? And, 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 and our conclusion after tasting it blind was, yes, we were. Um, right. And I could definitely recognize our wine. It has a little bit more fruit than white Bordeaux typically mm -hmm. would but the texture is very close. This would perhaps confuse a lot of I think sommeliers. it some people, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What would, what would they think this is? I think they would think old world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they might think old world, France maybe. Mm -hmm. That's how distinct this wine yeah. is. Yeah. So this wine has a bunch of different uh, layers of flavor that, that just kind of are melding together. And sometimes if you think about it, you think, I don't know how that would work, but it actually works really, really well because you get that oiliness, you get that butterscotch and caramel, you get that stone fruit and melon characteristic, and then you also get the minerality. And it is a beautiful kind of amalgamation of flavor here in this wine. This wine with its heft, with its uh, complex character traits, I'm trying to think right now, what would I pair this with? Because I think it would complement um, maybe a good pork chop, uh, maybe something with a um, nice brown, or maybe a white gravy, a uh, chicken-based gravy or something. What, what, yeah. what do you do with this? One of my favorite things to have with this is something like a white truffle risotto, something mm. that's got some, some like mouthfeel and texture and yes. kind of mimicking that you know, that sort of creaminess. I immediately thought truffle yeah. oil too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that would be a perfect yeah. compliment. But it's a great oyster wine as well. Mm -hmm. You know, if you get one of those, you know, more briny, kind of creamy oysters, mm -hmm. it's really good with that as well. Would you also serve this at about 45 degrees or what temperature? We go, we, I, I go warmer. I think with whites, you know, I think whites are often served over chilled. Okay. Um, and, 45, you're kind of muting some of those aromatics, so I, I would go, you know, 55 to 58 um, and, and then let it kind of open up as it gets a little bit warmer in your glass. Yes, because the audience has to smell this bouquet. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. This is truly Good. I'm neat. glad you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, this is, this is really mind-blowing to me. Mm -hmm. Wow. Can you talk about the definition of élevage in the context of wine, please, for our audience? Yeah, so the French term élevage is basically everything that you do to a wine from the minute it arrives at your winery. So it's like the raising of a wine like you would raise a child, right, um, up until the time of bottling. And we had made a proprietary red called élevage um, for many, many years. We made that wine started in... I think in 1990, we still make it. Um, and then when we decided to do a white blend, it was pretty easy to name because we already had our propri proprietary uh, red. This is our proprietary white. Fantastic. And it's a great term for, I think, a wine because that is how winemakers feel about um, their wines. They're our children, mm -hmm. you know. 
I think it's gonna be for some Cabernet. Let's do it. Please. All right. But I think I gotta take a couple bottles of that home with me okay. and experiment with my meals. Awesome. We're gonna start with our. This is basically our Cabernet or a state Cabernet, which is I think with this wine as the ambassador to the property, and I'll, I'll explain why. Thank you. So the estate cab is basically a blend. We have about 28 different blocks on the property. And this wine is a blend of most of those blocks together. Um, I think of this wine as it tells the tale of this ranch in any given vintage. Mm -hmm. So my goal is when you smell this um, and taste it, that it's gonna transport you to Stag's Leap District for that particular year. Um, it's always mostly Cabernet. Um, this one's about 90% Cabernet, I believe. It's got a little bit of Merlot blended in. Um, and that varies vintage to vintage, depending on weather conditions. But one of the things that I do very purposely here is our use of new oak is fairly conservative for an important wine. 50% new oak, 50% used. And what I'm really trying to do is highlight the fruit of the estate. We grow such beautiful fruit. Um, I think it's really just, I want to showcase that in this wine. Um, so this is the 2016, which was also great vintage. Well, I immediately get um, some wow. raisinated characteristics on this one. Mm -hmm. um, and those kind of dried, things that are dried. So I get a little bit of potpourri mm -hmm. here. I also get um, like raisins and currants and 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 almost like a, a stewed macerated fruit characteristic that's right um which i love get a little bit of that stags like district blackberry character is that what you call well. it yeah, yeah. I, I especially the north end of the estate we get a lot of that blackberry black currant kind of family of characters so this aroma, and Janae is dead on with her description of the of the aroma of the bouquet, is dead on with the dried raisins, the dried fruits. The potpourri crushed flower yes. descriptor, I think, is often uh, associated, I think, with this area as well. Is that a distinctive characteristic of the stacked sleep district? Uh, uh, I, I might say it's... A, one of our stylistic marks. I'm not sure Stags cool. like Stags Leap. I think more blackberry, blackcurrant as a whole. Um, I think some of the cooler spots in the district, you might see some more of those kind of dried herbs <laughs> and those kind of characters. And I love them because I think they really add layers to the wine. You know, this is not just pure fruit. There's there's a lot going on here. There's secondary and tertiary flavors that just kind of make it make it so complex and so beautiful and on the finish like on the palette I get a little bit of I don't get blackberry but I do get like blueberry mm -hmm. that's almost immediately what I got which I absolutely love wow this is a very elegant wine very smooth a hint of minerality which is probably the soil I get a layer of a little bit of chalkiness well, I, I think when you're saying chalk, that means you're talking a little bit about texture. Yes. And I think, you know, it just has to do with the characteristics of the tannins that we get from this area. Just a little bit silkier, smoother. Um, More? It's not, it's not a wimpy wine in any way. No. As, you know, but so it's got some structure, 
but it's sort of gentle in its, in its structure. I would actually also um, describe this as gentle and, and very soft and very silky and very elegant. Um, it doesn't have those insanely um, <sighs> polarizing tannins mm-hmm. that can, can that can like knock you out yeah. or that you have to like rinse your teeth after you, a glass of wine right exactly yeah. it doesn't have that insane drying sensation that you get when you drink a lot of uh, Napa cabs it's just very soft and elegant and really really beautiful very lovely and very uh, the layers of complexity here are phenomenal Absolutely delicious. Yeah. Stunning. It's a beautiful wine. So for fun, you know, the first wine that we poured is basically, to me, kind of a symphony, right? It's multiple blocks kind of put together in a blend. Um, The other thing that Chimura does is we do a a number of single vineyard calves. So we have all these little microclimates within the property. The north end's a little warmer, the south end's a little cooler, and we've had a lot of fun, you know, making isolated wines from distinct vineyards and kind of showcasing these different personalities of Cabernet. So for fun, our third wine, I picked one of our soloists. So it's one of our single vineyards. Uh, It's our Tomahawk Cab, which Mm. comes from the very south end. I've had this. Uh, And it's a little older, so you have the 16 Cab. We're going to have the 14 Tomahawk. Mm. So... a little 2014 Tomahawk Vineyard. So this vineyard is the very south end of the estate. And uh, I like to think about this as kind of our power cab. And it's 100% Cabernet from that block. What color is this? I'm just, I flipped over a sheet of paper to... You definitely see a little purple hue in there too. It's like deep red with a little like slight purple hue. The meniscus is not very prominent in this one. The meniscus being the, the, the outer edge of the wine when I'm tilting it against the glass of a sheet of white paper. So I would say deep garnet core going to a, uh, a medium pink um, or burgundy outer edge. Wow, you guys are much more technical in your color analysis than I ever get. Oh, really? I'm like, yeah. Red, deep red, purple. Is know, that right? Inky. That's it. Yeah. Okay. That's coming from the 20 plus year expert right here, which I love. <laughs> what, what made you just say, wow? Your eyeballs almost came out of your eyes. Yeah. So I get it immediately... The texture is what grabbed me. Again, we're talking about very soft, silky tannins, and this is no exception. Beautifully elegant texture with all three of the wines that we've had. So that was the first thing that jumped out at me. And then after that, of course, was the flavor. And I get fruit immediately, um, which is obviously going to be prevalent in a Napa cab. Um, But it almost reminded me of the 3D kind of fruit that I get with mountain cabs. It was very, it, 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 it literally jumped out at me, hit me in the face, but 
it has a, a, a certain uh, a certain finesse um, that you might not see in a mountain cab. So a lot of mountain cabs, I think of like, bam, look at me, here I am, and this is more like. I'm wearing this sexy negligee and I look fabulous and beautiful and I don't have to show it all mm. because you see me here, this is me, this is who I am. So the same kind of, sh not the same kind of shock value, but a much more elevated um, experience to this wine versus a mountain cab. If that makes any sense, no, it that was does. a long explanation. No, but, but you know, Janae, we've been to a lot of wineries together, and you've we've tasted a lot of great wines that said, "Bam, here I am." Mm -hmm. What is more alluring to you, the quick flash, "Bam, I'm here," or the one that is more supple and sexy and says, "Hey, I'm here," and and more enticing? I think they both have their place um, because whenever you taste either one, you're going to be taken aback. A little bit because taken aback in a good way in a great back in, in a, a great way, way meaning left speechless yeah. is what I mean that's kind of what I'm getting at I love that you're having an emotional response yeah yes. that's what I want yeah <laughs> exactly so um, and like, you should do that with wine wine should be an emotional should. thing absolutely. Yeah. it absolutely is an emotional thing and it should be um, but with a mountain cab sometimes I'm just like Whoa! What is happening here in my palate? What's what's going on in my mouth? What's 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 all of these? It, you mentioned an orchestra, Elizabeth, earlier, a symphony, um, and it's kind of sometimes with mountain cabs, you get um, you get the strings first, and then and then the brass mm -hmm. comes in, and then the percussion, mm -hmm. um, and all of a sudden you have this beautiful symphony in your mouth, and sometimes with something less subtle. Or I should say more subtle, um, like this uh, Tomahawk Vineyard Cabernet that we're tasting right now. You get um, an overture first, so the, the the strings are coming in, they're playing the overture, and then all of a sudden a huge crescendo, and then it dies down again with uh, the percussion and the brass. And it's funny that I say dies down with percussion and brass because usually that's the thing that brings the crescendo. Wow. But Beautiful. In this. In this moment, I would say that it dies down with the percussion and brass, kind of just bringing it to this soft, um, magnificent end. Isn't know. music a great metaphor? It's for wonderful. Wine? Metaphor. It really is. It really I think is. a lot about music uh, in tasting wine because I think they're they're very similar. They can be very similar experiences. Mm -hmm. um, this wine really makes me think of the term the iron fist with the velvet glove. Also, oh my god! Right, it's so like, funny. That's been used to describe Sags Lake District wines: the iron fist with the velvet glove, which means power, but finesse at the same time, and that you can have power and grace at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, is I think one, one of the things that makes Sags Lake District the most extraordinary. Um, a little bit about the vineyard. Um, it was named Tomahawk in honor of the Wapo Indians who used to hunt in the hills above this uh, property on the south end. And we actually found some artifacts on the property. We thought it was karmically important to name a couple of things in their honor. We oh, found nice. an arrowhead. Do so we have an arrowhead vineyard? We did not find a Tomahawk, but we love the name Tomahawk. Yeah. And uh, we just wanted to pull something that, that, um, that you know, just raised our... And a little the, tribute. The people to uh, preceded us on this land. So we got all that, and I haven't even taken one sip of this. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I was just infatuated with everything you both were saying. <laughs> Walk softly and carry a big stick is another metaphor that works very, very well with this. Yeah. So when I sniff this, deep berries, deep dark berries I get, and I get uh, a, a, a good waft of uh, minerality towards the back end, which is probably the soil type, right? Mm, I've had this before. Oh, yes. This is my fourth time visiting Chimney Rock. And every time I've had this, I just remember how wonderful this wine is. Oh, good. Yeah. The tannins, interestingly, in Tomahawk are a little bit different to me mm-hmm. than the Estate Cab. I, I find them to be a little bit more rustic. And, yes. and part of the reason is that's the very south end of the estate, a little cooler. So you don't quite get the heat. You're not as close to those palisades. Mm-hmm. So the tannins tend to be a little bit more rustic. But I like that. And I like highlighting that that's different from kind of some of the other spots on the estate. So I, I would say that is not a winemaking thing. I think that is the vineyard. Why do you pay attention so much to the tannins? Well, tannins are the backbone of a wine, right? I love that. I mean, our backbone is a really important part of our bodies. It carries us. And I think tannins do the same for Cabernet. And uh, and I think they are going to help denote what kind of ageability a wine has. Uh, and I think as far as aromas, you know, when you grow grapefruit and you're a good winemaker, your wines are always going to smell great. Mm-hmm. But I'm much more texture obsessed. Um, that's something that we love really that. think about a yes. lot at Chimney Rock. Um, not only should the wine smell amazing, but the way it coats your palate and its length and its richness, all of that to me is something that I am particularly focused on. Um, and maybe that's because we make wine in Stag's Leap District and the texture here is so spectacular. We've become kind of focused mm-hmm. on that. Um, but I think, uh, especially when you're talking about Cabernet, because um, Cabernet can be too austere, right? There's a reason in Bordeaux that they blend a lot of Merlot and Cab Franc. Um, it's cooler and the Cabernet is austere. Yeah. Um, we're privileged here in Stag's Leap to be in a climate and a terroir that allows us to make 100% Cabernet that tastes like that. Good. Yeah. Yeah, this is awesome. And you can see how these wines, although they're elegant, will age. And our wines age. You you can drink them now if you can, you know, if you can't resist it. But you can put these down for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and... Uh, Stagsley District will reward your patients hmm. uh, because they just get more, you know, they get smoother and uh, and softer, and and then you start to get into those like tertiary aromatics, which are really fun with some age too. So from time to time, I've come across Chimney Rock wines in the retail market, but because production is smaller, retail is not your primary channel of distribution. So. Elizabeth, how do consumers get Chimney Rock wines? How do they get to taste all these delicious wines that we've experienced here today? Well, if you're not in Napa Valley, you can certainly just go on our website, ChimneyRock.com. I I encourage everybody to come check out how beautiful this property is. But I think, you know, I always say, like, tasting wine at the place that it's made changes everything. Yes. When you... You know, pull up to the property and you get to see these beautiful, almost 30-year-old vines in the mm-hmm. ground with these massive trunks. 
and you get to see the Palisades in person and feel the stag's leap breezes and then you walk in here and you taste the wine it's a different sensory experience right so my, my first thing would be I invite you all to come visit us because it really is kind of magical um, to taste the wines here. We do have a website. You can, of course, try some of our wines there. We distribute our estate cab um, to most of the states. So, and we actually export a little bit to the UK, a little bit to Asia, okay. very small amounts. Um, so I think of that wine as our ambassador and that's a great way to start to get to know Chimney Rock. Um, to try some of our wines, like our single vineyards, you really have to come here because we don't make enough of them ah. to distribute. So Alpine Vineyard, for example, we only make like 200 cases of. Uh, and a lot of those you can taste if you come to the tasting room or if you join our wine club. So our wine club is 100% Cabernet red wine focused. Remind the audience again, what is your website? www.chimneyrock.com and how does one um, become a member of your wine club? So we have a few different wine clubs. We have the Palisade Society, which is you basically commit to getting a case of wine a year. We so we make those selections and we make that. I work with our club manager to release wines when they're ready. Um, and uh, you'll get 12 beautiful bottles of red wine that range from single vineyard Cabernets to a couple of blends that we make to a Cabernet Franc that we make. A lot of people don't even know we make a Cab Franc. Oh, see, um, Janae is having a we little We make a little bit of Merlot. We occasionally release a Merlot, so... Um, How many varietals do you grow? So we grew just four here. Okay. Uh, the red varieties, so Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, and Merlot. And Petit Bordeaux is a secret ingredient in a lot of our blends as well. So yes. um, in 2017, you'll be excited to hear we're, we're bottling one barrel of just Petit Bordeaux for fun. Is that right? So we do a lot of single barrel bottlings occasionally. That um, is very rare. That are really fun to do as well. Yeah. So um, you can join our mailing list too. If you join our mailing list on the website or join our club, you'll hear more news about things that we're producing and um, what's going on here. So. It's fantastic. That's all exciting, I'm fun stuff. super excited about this wine club, you guys. What kind of events do you have here as part of your wine club? Uh, so we do release, you know, release reception for every time we release a club shipment. Um, and so you can come and try the wines, and we'll usually have some great pairings to go with that. Um, in addition, we do educational events. Um, so I do one that's called our blending party, where I teach people how to blend. Um, we do one in August, which is kind of a vineyard walk, and talk through what's gone on this growing season. And we get to go look at the vines, and if the grapes are ready to taste, we can taste some grapes too. So we, we love to educate. It really isn't about the Stags Leap District for me with Chimney Rock. You know what really comes through for me, Elizabeth, is your style. Mm -hmm. Because I could go down the street and try some other Stags Leap wines, which are also phenomenal and also delicious, but they are more characteristic of wines of Napa Valley versus wines of Elizabeth style. And I think that's what really punches through from my experience here today. Uh -huh. I think it's delicious. That, that's way too flattering. I really think the star is the vineyard, but- Do you really? Um, yeah. But my team, I, I take pride in my team. Six pairs of hands make all of the wines that you've tried here today. 
and um, it's certainly not just me. It takes a village to make great wine. So. But it's really the winemaker at the helm that really leads and directs the course of these wines. I really do think that's right. You have to have the conductor. That's right, if you will. Yeah, that's sure. right. Sure. And, the, and the music analogy. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's yeah. awesome. So if you are interested in learning more about uh, Trilotto's Wines, of which Chimney Rock is a member, you can go to TrilottoWines.com, or as Elizabeth noted earlier, you can go to ChimneyRock.com for specifically Chimney Rock Wines, and we hope that you do. Um, and we also would like to give you the address of Chimney Rock, which is 5350 Silverado Trail in Napa Valley. The phone number is 800 257 2641. And what hours are you open, Elizabeth? We are open Monday through Sunday, 10 to 5. And uh, although we encourage appointments because we have a lot of fun, more educational tours, so go to our website, look at the kind of experience that you want to have at Chimney Rock. You can just roll in without an appointment and have a tasting at the bar, or you can plan a more in-depth experience. So we, we encourage both. Uh, we just want to have visitors can see us. Wonderful. Which of your wines are in the retail market? So we distribute our Estate Cabernet, our Elvage, a small amount, so that's the red blend, which we didn't taste today. Um, a little bit of Tomahawk, uh, which mostly you'll see in restaurants. You won't really see those in retailers, rarely. Um, and the Elvage Blanc as well. Elizabeth, many thanks for your wonderful hospitality today. It's been so great to be here with you and hosting us here at Chimney Rock in this beautiful property. Thank you so much again, Elizabeth. You can continue to learn more about um, wine and Napa and Sonoma Valleys and wine country around the world by listening to our podcast. Um, so please remember to subscribe to Sip On This on Apple, iTunes, and Stitcher or whatever, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can check us out at siponthis.org where you will see pictures of today's tasting experience and ask questions, which we'll answer on a future podcast. Roger and Janae, I can't thank you enough for coming to Chimney Rock today. I thought you guys were amazing tasters and amazing wine educators. Well, Elizabeth, that was the perfect cut ending to this episode. And so, for our audience, until our next podcast, live life peacefully, productively, and deliciously. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you guys are great. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you. I was worried I got too techy.